Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I have this, I have this memory of, of Christmas past when I was younger, uh, waiting anxiously for my older brother and my uncle, my older brother and his wife and my uncle, uh, arriving uh, to Montreal for the holidays. Now, you got to understand, when, when I grew up as a kid, before I moved to Montreal in Toronto, we never waited for anybody to show up because my immediate family was there. My grandparents lived upstairs. My uncle lived down the street. And uh, we were all together. But when we moved to Montreal, my older brother, who was 18 or 19 at the time, stayed back in Toronto for school. Obviously, my uncle didn't move. My grandparents didn't move. So now we were in Montreal. And I remember vividly anticipating, waiting for them to show up. I remember one year, it was horrible. There was freezing rain on the 401. There was no cell phones at the time. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. And we were just like anticipating their arrival when they would show up. And, 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 you know, it just reminds me of the vivid anticipation I had in my heart. And today, uh, we're coming to the end of Revelation. And if you just joined us today because you came to see a grandchild or someone in your family sing, you might not know this. We've, been, we've taught half of the weeks in 2022, we've taught out of the book of Revelation. We've done four, little, four mini-series, not little ones, but four mini-series. And Revelation ends with anticipation. This whole series this month is called Anticipated Hope. Revelation ends with an anticipation for Jesus to show up. And we're reading the last verses, and I was thinking about that this morning, how back in February this year, we started with Revelation chapter 1, and now we're reading Revelation chapter 22. Isn't that amazing? So we're reading it together, chapter 22, verse 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it or follow on along the screen, uh, the screen and we'll, um, we're going to jump in. So here we go, these last few verses of Revelation. See... I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your comrades, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, fornicators and murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come, And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty, come. And let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away the person's share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. And everybody says? Amen. Amen. God, as we just jump into this last few paragraphs of this incredible, um, exciting, adventurous, apocalyptic letter that we have been in and out of all year, um, we again just welcome the work of your Spirit. We depend on the work of your Spirit, God. Help us to see your word for your church, for us, for the world as we walk through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If, you, if you've just joined us for the first time, you can totally go back and listen to some of these messages. We've been taking a pastoral, prophetic approach, not a predictive approach. And here, as we come to the end, you notice that the writing's different. Even from the last chapter that we've been in this month, it, this is an epilogue. You know, when someone writes a book, seven, eight chapters, and then there's a little, you know, like page at the end called an epilogue. The author wants to kind of sum things up. This is like an epilogue at the end of the letter. It's a postscript after multiple visions that John receives. And if you remember, there was many times throughout this letter that we read, oh, John was taken up in the Spirit, and then he, he sees a vision. He sees heaven. He sees God's space. He, he sees certain things. But now he's taken down. He's not in the Spirit. He's not seeing a vision. He's down like ordinary, feet on the ground, you know, touching the dirt, earth, you know, I mean, he was never literally taken up, but it was, he was seeing these things. And he's wrapping up this letter, and it moves from this vision to vocation. Vocation is the life we're called to. It moves from seeing this vision to vocation. And it makes me realize, and I hope it helps you realize, that revelation is for everyone. Revelation is for everyone. We started, when we started this book this year, I know some of you are thinking, why the heck are we getting into Revelation? Like, this is, that's a crazy letter. Some of us were wondering, how are we going to touch some of this incredible literature in Revelation? We quoted Martin Luther from the 16th century that said, don't bother with Revelation for discipleship. It's not, you know, it's not meant for that. Just kind of leave it aside. Use some of the, you know, some of the songs and prayers. And some of us probably wondered, what are we going to get out of Revelation? Like, what is it going to mean for my life? What is it going to mean for Monday and Tuesday, not just worship or Sunday? And yet... Revelation is for everyone. And this angel tells John, this, per, this angel who keeps revealing to John over the course of this letter, tells him in verse 10, don't seal up this prophecy. Don't seal up the prophecy of this book. In other words, don't conceal it. Don't keep it for yourselves, for yourself. Share it with the churches in Asia Minor. Share it with the churches in the Roman Empire. Share it with the pockets of community of Christ followers. And eventually, to all the followers of Jesus, don't keep it to yourself. Don't conceal it. Don't seal it up. Share it. Especially while God's mercy is available. You read something like verse 10 and you wonder, you know, what is, what is that? Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Like, you wouldn't say that to your kids in your house. 
you know, those of you guys who are going to be evil, be evil. Those of you guys who are going to be righteous, do righteous. You know what? We'll just kind of let it all hang out, you know? No, you wouldn't do that. But what's happening here is what we've seen throughout the letter. God's judgment is coming on the world, but he often pulls it back because he's restraining for mercy. And he's letting things continue as people choose or don't choose to follow him. And in this time between the times, God's mercy is available. And John is told, don't seal up this letter. Let the church hear it. Let others hear its message. And the main message as we come to the end of this amazing letter is really simple. Jesus is saying, I'm coming. Pay attention. We could stop right here because that's really the whole thing. And you're wondering, why are you going to talk for 20 more minutes? But, but <laughs> we got to unpack it a little bit. But, but, but that's the main message, right? I'm coming. Pay attention and there, there, there's three ways I want us to look at this. And it's really, I wrote it in a simple way, in a, in a simple way to think about it this way. To look for, to long for, and to live for. Simple, right? What would you say? Say with me. To look for, to long for, to live for. One more time so we get in our heads. To look for, to long for, to live for. And the first thing I want to get at is looking for. Or I wrote look for, but I'm changed my mind this morning. I want to say looking forward to. Because when we look for something, that can easily get us in the predictive mode. Oh, what's the newspaper say? What's happening in Russia? What's going on in China? And now we're looking for things. But what's really going on here is looking forward to what Jesus is telling us. Paying attention for it. Three times, verse 7, 12, and 20, Jesus says these words. See, and remember that word see is behold, Remember, wake up, listen up, see, I am coming soon. Now, while John has often heard a voice from heaven or the angel guiding these visions, this voice is different. This is the voice of Jesus. And when we first hear it, it's, it's subtle. We don't know that it's Jesus. John doesn't tell us this, but we know it is because it keeps repeating the same message. See, I am coming soon. The angel wouldn't say that. Only Jesus would say that. And we get this increasing uh, revelation of Jesus' identity in this epilogue, in this postscript. First, the voice has no reference. Then the voice, after Jesus says, uh, see, I'm coming soon, he references back when he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And then John affirms that it's been Jesus' voice shouting this promise all along at the end. But in the middle, Jesus outs himself. Jesus says in verse 16, it's I, it's me, it's Jesus. I've been, you know, I sent the angel. I sent my servant to you to, to reveal this stuff to you. I sent the angel to, to, so you can share this with the churches. I sent this so, so my people, my church would hear my voice and understand how they can walk through this season, time between the times, before a new creation. Because all throughout this letter, we've got to remember, this is not the revelation of end times. This is the revelation of Jesus the apocalypse of Jesus, the unveiling of who Jesus is and what his heart is for us. And while this letter unveils many things for us, and we've gone through it over 25 weeks, it ultimately unveils Jesus. It ultimately pulls the curtain to help us see the beauty and power and majesty and purpose and will of Jesus. We see Jesus walking among the lampstands, the churches in the first century. He wants to be present with them. John, 
when he's taken up to see what's going on in the heavenly realms, he hears about a lion, but then he sees the lamb, right? He's being revealed. Who is Jesus? He's the lamb of God. At the beginning of the letter, we see that God is called the Alpha Omega, Alpha and Omega. But at the end of the letter, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. We're increasingly get a vision of Jesus, a revelation of who Jesus is. And here, this is so important for us. If there was any doubt for those early Christians, and if there was any doubt for you or for me that Jesus is God, revelation is clearly showing us that Jesus is God is clearly letting us know Jesus is God. He is the one we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's this Jesus, the one who we've, who've, who we've now seen clearly, is making this promise to you and me. He says, I'm coming. I'm coming. And this is what everybody's been waiting for. This is the climatic shift that changes creation to new creation, that, that allows heaven and earth to marry together to be one united realm of God's space and our space. Jesus is making this promise to you and to me and to the church over the centuries. And when he reveals himself in verse 16, he reminds us that he can be trusted. Hey, see, this is me. It's me who's talking to you. And he reminds us this by even going backwards. He calls himself the root of David, the bright and morning star. Why would he do that? Because he's helping the the church, and especially those who would have a Jewish understanding, but we get this too. He's like, I came once and fulfilled God's messianic promise for Israel. The root of David, the bright and morning star. I'm coming again, and I'm going to fulfill the messianic hope of the world, not just for Israel, but for the world. And any Christian with a Jewish background would have understood the anticipation of this. The Israel's prophets spoke about this. And this is what we're going to start, we're going to celebrate next week or this coming week with Christmas. Israel's prophets spoke about a restored temple and spoke about God's people being restored and spoke about God's presence being manifested. And N.T. Wright calls this a hope within a hope within a hope. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? A dream within a dream within a dream? Okay, this is not as complicated, but... It's a hope within a hope within a hope. A hope for a restored temple, a hope for God's people, a hope for God's presence. Jesus comes fulfilling all three hopes. We're not looking for a future temple. The New Jerusalem won't have one. The fulfillment of the temple will be realized. We're not looking to become God's people. We are God's people and one day united as a multitude with all of God's people. And God's presence will be manifested. A hope within a hope within a hope fulfilled. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're paying attention for. That's what, what we're hoping for. But there's more than just looking forward towards it. It's also longing for it. And this, this draws us in at the end of this letter. Because we read Jesus saying, see, I'm coming soon. But we also hear others use the same word. Jesus, would you come? Jesus, will you come? It's like they hear Jesus' promise, they hear this, and then there's an invitation back. Jesus, come. Jesus, please come. It's this response to Jesus' promise, like, okay, come already, please, Lord Jesus, come. And you get it in John. At the end, like the last time Jesus says, see, I'm coming, John says, amen. Okay, Jesus, come. Like, did you hear that? It was like right, right after. Yes, I'm, Jesus says, I'm coming. And John's like, yes, amen, cool, I get it, I affirm it. Jesus, would you come? Because there's this deep longing that we see here 
in John, in the church, even in the work of the Spirit that's longing for Jesus to come, that's longing for this future new creation that is going to be initiated by Jesus. And I love verse 17. And verse 17 is so helpful for you and me. And it almost breaks into a poem or a prayer. But verse 17 simply says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, Come. This is significant in this longing because the church is longing for Jesus to come, but not just the church. The Holy Spirit's longing for Jesus to come. This may seem strange to you. It's like, is there like an interaction going on between the Trinity? Like, Jesus, you left, you sent me. Now, Jesus, would you come back? Like, I, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm getting too curious or imaginative here, but it's like, you go. Now I came, but now you go, you come back. Like, like what, what's happening here? And, and, and it, it's almost like, I, I imagine that even among the, the, the Trinity, there's this anticipation when heaven and earth are married together, there's no more, what's the Father up to? What's the Son up to? What's the Spirit up to? It's like this all, all together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a married heaven and earth, all active in their roles. No separation of, oh, Jesus went into God's space, the heavenly realm, and sent the Spirit to us. No, no, it's all together. So I imagine that the Holy Spirit is also longing. I'm longing for the fulfillment of this. But there's something here that's really important for you and me because that is the Spirit in us, the Spirit with us, the Holy Spirit forming us to long for Jesus. Right? We know from the Gospels that the Spirit points us to Jesus. We know from Paul that we only call God Abba Father. The Spirit grows in us to call Abba Father. And we read here in Revelation that the Spirit also forms in us a longing for Jesus to come. The Holy Spirit is at work. And it's almost like we don't, we don't know where the work of the Spirit, the, the longing of the Spirit and our longing stop and start. Where does it finish? Where does our start Because if we are followers of Jesus, if we are are people in God's kingdom, then the Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us and works in us and is also forming in us this longing. So if the Spirit longs for Jesus to come, we are going to long for Jesus to come. If the Spirit is looking forward towards that, we are looking forward towards that. And so there's this infused longing birthed by the Spirit in us to say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. It's one of the fruits of being a Christian. It's one of the fruits of of the Spirit being at work in us. When you long for Christ's return, when you long for Christ's coming, you are longing for something that the Holy Spirit has birthed in your heart and is nurturing and is forming. And we need that every day. Why? We've been talking about this, right? The imagination of Babylon, the imagination uh, of our world sucks, sucks dry from us. And it's too easy to think that what we have right here, what we have in this moment, what we depend on right now is is everything. And so the Spirit keeps nurturing. No, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. That is what we long for. That is what we hope for. So a life that is in Christ, a life that's full of the Spirit, has this on their lips, has this on their hearts, to long for the coming of Christ. And this is not separate from the Christian life. This is not something new to the Bible. This is not nothing new to the Gospels, right? If you remember Jesus' prayer, how did he teach us how to pray? 
our Heavenly Father, right? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come and your will be done here. So when we say come, we're saying two things. We're saying Jesus return. Jesus reign. Jesus, we long for you to bring an end to evil and establish the fullness of your kingdom. We're saying come, but we're also saying, Jesus, today would your kingdom come. Today would your will be done. Today would you break into my heart. Would you break into my city. Would you break into my marriage. Would you break into my home. Would you break into my family and my my neighborhood and my friends, into the brokenness of our world. Jesus, come. May your kingdom come and be established here right now, even in glimpses of what you're going to do in the future. And when we get this, then we understand the blessings that are listed here. Because sometimes we read, you know, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy, and we can isolate it from life. We can make it be like, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep looking at the words of this prophecy. No, it's, it's actually about our living it. Like, when we talk about being blessed, we're not talking about some kind of like, you just reward or guarantee or whatever. It's actually... The, the Scripture's calling us, this is the best way to live. This is what God's calling us to. So when verse 7 says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. Verse 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes. They have the right to the tree of life. They enter the city gates. This points not to what we're looking for or longing for, but what we're called to live for today. That's the last word, right? Looking, toward, looking forward towards longing for, and this one is living for. This is, this is the call for you and me. This is why Revelation makes sense today. This is why when we read this letter in a prophetic and pastoral way, we're called to live something out. This is why this book is more pastoral and prophetic than it is predictive, because it's calling us to live. When we're called to keep the words of this prophecy, we're not called to just hold it. Okay, great, I got it. I'm going to roll it up, roll it up in a scroll, stick it on my door, That's not what keep the words of this prophecy is. Keep the words of this prophecy is live this. Walk in this way. Enter this life. Be part of God's kingdom way. When we read those words, blessed are those who wash your robes. If you remember, those who were um, seen as a multitude in new creation, their robes were washed by the blood of Christ. They were made righteous. And when you're made righteous, righteous is not just a status, it's a calling to life. Righteous and justice reflects God's kingdom. So for the early church, yes, we understand robes washed in Christ's blood. It means someone's life is changed. But robes washed is also a life that's characteristic of God's kingdom that now your life and my life and anyone who enters into a relationship with Christ and is washed by His blood, their life then slowly, by the work of the Spirit, becomes characteristic of God's kingdom. It's how we live. You guys catch how some younger people talk today? And when I say that, I automatically feel old. But but it's like, I, I hear this, right? Like, what vibe does this shirt give you? Like, what, what vibe does this shirt give? What vibe does the shirt I'm wearing give you? I don't know. And, or, or it's like, man, those shoes are really vibing. I've heard that, like, vibing as a verb now. You know, th- those shoes are really vibing. And because I think, like, it, today in our cultures, there's an ethos to clothes. 
There's an aura about them. Your clothes say something about you. Your clothes identify you in some way, right? What you wear is like who you hang out with and what part of culture you're a part of and maybe a mix of what music you like or whatever. And so it's like, what vibe do your clothes have? Well, that's not really that far from the New Testament where Paul calls us to be clothed right? Clothed with things like humility and peace and righteousness and goodness. There is a sense that what we wear reflects the kind of life we're living. And so it's actually pretty good that that's kind of the the talk today. But in a different way, we want to say it this way, that the way we're clothed is the way we live. And so blessed are those whose robes are washed. Blessed are those whose clothes indicate the life of God's kingdom. Blessed are those whose life indicates that they've been washed by Christ's blood and they've been being transformed by the Spirit constantly and their life is responding to the work of the Spirit. Blessed are they. They're living for something. They're living for His kingdom. They're living in such a way that reflects His kingdom. Eugene Peterson says it this, says it this way. He says, heaven is not a purple passage tacked on to the end of the apocalypse to give a flourish to the rhetoric, but an immersion in the realities of God's rule in our lives that has the effect of reviving our obedience, fortifying us for the long haul, and energizing us for a courageous witness. In other words, what we're reading in Revelation is not just something that just, oh, this is beautiful, this is cool, this is something for the future, but it's an immersion. Did you hear that word? It's an immersion into the realities of God's rule for your life and for my life to revive an obedience in us, in us to fortify us, to strengthen us for the long haul, right? Because we're called to be faithful witnesses, to energize us to be a courageous witness. So here's, this is, this is really important. This prophecy that we're called blessed if we keep it is meant to move us is meant to convict us, is meant to call us, is meant to shape a longing in us so we will live in such a way that reflects God's kingdom. So we don't just look forward to Christ's coming. We don't just long for it, but we live for it. We live in such a way that it reflects it. So what are the three words? You ready? Remember? Look, long, live. Look forward towards it, long for it, live for it. For what? For Jesus' coming. For Jesus and His coming. Not just for Jesus' coming, but for Jesus and His coming. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we slowly come to a close. But if you read right to the end, and most of you did, we just did today, there's a little, there's a little line there that's really, like it's not surprising, it's almost in... those words are often used in many New Testament letters. The last line says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, be with all the saints. John ends this incredible vision. John has this epilogue. John calls us to to, to wait and, and look for and long for and live for Christ's coming. But he ends in such a familiar way. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. I think if we would have read that at the beginning of the the letter, I think if we would have read that in isolation to this letter, but once we read it at the end of this letter, every word is pregnant with meaning and beauty and hope. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, all the saints. And while the end of this letter looks forward, John ends with promise for today. Right? It's not just 
for the future. God wants this for you today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Be with all the saints. That's so important that God's grace will be with us today, now, in the present. That means that the way this letter shapes us is for tomorrow and Tuesday and our relationships and our stewardship and our finances and our decisions and our workplaces. May God's grace be present with you today. And we know that we know God's grace as we read through this book. We saw that even though there's chaos in the world, we saw that even though there's tension between God's kingdom and the, and, and the influence of Satan's kingdom, even though there's, you know, there, there's God's work, but then we see the work of the beast, even though there's God's work, but we see Babylon's rise, even though there's that tension there, and we know that God will bring a finality to that in the middle, in the time between the time. We live in the times between the times. God's grace is there for us today for you, obviously to invite you into to a life with Jesus, but it's also to help you live every day, every day at work and with your friends and with your family and in the conflicts you have and all these things. It's for you. And all of this is really an invitation. All of this is an invitation. Did you notice there's another use of the word come in this epilogue? Just one more use. And says this, let everyone who is thirsty come. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Let everyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Do you, are you, do you hear this invitation for you? Everyone who is thirsty come. Jesus said, I'm coming. John, the church, the Spirit, us, we're saying, Jesus, would you come? And here's this invitation to you and me. Come. Everyone who's thirsty, come. If you're following Jesus already, whether it's been six months, six years, or 60 years, maybe you need to hear this invitation in a fresh way today. Maybe you need to hear this invitation that Jesus is telling us, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're hungry, come to me. If you're longing for life, you can still come to me. You don't have to get reconverted all over again, but he's saying, come. I'm the, remember, remember, I know you can get distracted that life is over here, life is over there, refreshment is over here, rest is over here. And Jesus is saying, no, for everyone who's thirsty, come. 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 You need life that only Jesus can bring. I need life that only Jesus can bring. So I invite you to that. You guys can start with this final song as we come to a close, but if you've been exploring Jesus for a while, if you've been exploring Jesus for a while, you know, at the end of gatherings often or even moments in our gathering, we often invite people, you know, are you ready to make a step to follow Jesus? We'd love to help you do that. We'd love to pray with you through that. Maybe you've made that step in our gatherings. If you've been exploring Christ for a while, if you've been maybe in our church for a while or in the church for a while but not following Jesus, if, if you've been on the fence about, about a spiritual next step, if you've been interested in Christ but not following Him, if you've been even attracted to the life and mercy and grace that, that God invites us to when we embrace Christ and respond to Him, but maybe you haven't come. Maybe you have not 
responded to that invitation, and that invitation is for you. If you're thirsty, come. If you're not thirsty, I can't do anything for you. But if you're thirsty, come. If you long for Christ, come. If you want Christ, come. And that's my invitation to you. Jesus is actually inviting you to receive eternal life now. You don't, we don't have to wait. Eternal life is not something that only happens in the future. It starts the moment we embrace Christ. And so I want to invite you today, if that's where you are, where you've been, maybe this season, and maybe the, the, first, the first step is just a response. Okay, I'm going to come. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe and start believing in the things that I've been hearing and understanding. I want to make that step. We're going to pray together in a moment. And maybe some of you in small ways have made this step, but you haven't immersed yourself in it. You've just kind of like teased it a little bit, but you haven't immersed yourself in it. There's one thing we do as Christ followers that it's happened over the centuries since the early church and started even before that, but it's something that reflects this immersion. You know what it is? It's called baptism. When someone, when, when someone responds to Christ, people ask the early church leaders, what do I do? How do I start this? How do I, what do I do to be saved? To follow? And, and Peter said, repent, believe, and be baptized. Baptism is the immersion in the life of Jesus. You're like, but it's only water. It's not only water. It's it's an intentional, symbolic act of walking into the waters and saying, I'm leaving a dead life behind. I'm leaving a life without God behind. I'm leaving a life without the leadership of Jesus behind, without the work of the Spirit behind, the imagination of Babylon behind. And I'm, I'm dying to myself, dying to my sin, dying with Christ, being immersed fully and then as one comes out of the waters, it's a symbol of new creation, what, what one day will be fulfilled, but what starts now. So if you've been hanging around with us for a while and you said, I, I've made a decision to follow Jesus, I've been following Christ for two, three months now, I want to invite you to immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. And we'll help you understand what baptism is and we'll host a baptism gathering and we'll do that. So let, let's pray and just be, uh, be present with the Lord for just a moment or two before we respond with worship and proclamation and song. If you're a follower of Christ, a believer, a Christian, and you're longing for a fresh a fresh infusion of life from Christ. That invitation that you embraced months or years ago is still fresh for you. Life for you is, is already available. Maybe you just need to acknowledge that you've been distracted for a little bit recently. God wants to give you a fresh perspective on the life that you've already embraced in Christ. If you're here today and you're making this decision for the first time, I just simply invite you to, to tell Jesus that. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to embrace you as leader and Lord of my life, as King. 
Jesus, I acknowledge that life, full life, can only be found in you. And though I don't even know the fullness of what that means yet, there is something that is calling me to embrace you, to trust you, to believe in you, to surrender my life and my heart to you. Just tell Jesus that in your own words. Jesus, I believe in you. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you. Lord Jesus, I want the life that only you can give. And I'm taking a step of faith today into that life following you. Lord Jesus, I relinquish my imagination with Babylon. I relinquish my, the life that I'm so enamored with at times, but I know does not bring eternal life. I want to surrender that to you and embrace you, Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the decisions in this room today, the decisions to be reminded of the life that is already ours in you, and the acknowledgement of the distractions that have maybe detoured us away from it. We embrace you fully. God, I thank you for the decisions today in this room of people who have made a decision to follow you, to trust you, maybe watching us online. And I pray, God, that they would know in the depths of their heart as they are making this decision that, Lord, that you would respond by the power of your Holy Spirit. May they sense your response to them. You're welcome. God, I pray for some who have maybe made decisions like this recently but have not made a step of immersion fully into the life you long for. So, God, maybe decisions of, of baptism today that we welcome and celebrate. And we're grateful that as a church community, we can have a variety of people, different places on their spiritual journey, that you call us to you. So we thank you that we can look forward to your coming. We thank you of how the Spirit births in us a longing for your coming. And we pray for the empowerment of your Spirit to help us live every day in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.